I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's dominion, isn't it? Some of it is in the, in the kind of evangelical sense, sense of dominion, which is God gave us the earth and it's our job to look after it. No, it's not our job. We're just, like, we're just, what is it, apes with anxiety. That's all we are. <laughs> Welcome to Wayward Bodies, a show about our bodies and the messy places that they meet the world. I'm your host, Ellie Bauer-Johnston. Each episode, we'll be exploring embodiment, body liberation, creativity, healing, and how we can start to show up as our whole selves. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of Wayward Bodies. I am Ellie Bell Johnston. I am an embodiment guide and a breath and rest teacher, and I am your faithful host for this podcast. And today we are back talking to other people. It's not just me here today. Um, Today I'm talking with Theo Wildcroft about becoming untamed, about neurodiversity and disability justice and embracing your brokenness. Let me tell you a little bit about Theo. Theo Wildcroft, PhD, is a teacher, a writer, and a scholar working for a more sustainable relationship between our many selves, the communities that hold us, and the world that nourishes us. Her research considers the democratization of yoga post-lineage and the many different ways yoga communities are responding to concerns about safety in practice. She is at the forefront of the movement for trauma sensitivity, diversity, and inclusion. She blogs and writes articles on yoga, on social justice, on hope, and on untold stories. She is a lover of vulnerable people, of wild things and wild places, and of the simple miracle of life itself. An accomplished writer with two decades of experience in group facilitation, she not only delivers compelling lectures and inspiring writing, but holds careful and thoughtful spaces for groups and individuals to deepen their knowledge, share experiences, and acquire new skills. This conversation with Theo was such a pleasure. We touched on a whole bunch of topics that could have been a complete episode in and of themselves. Uh, We talked about the difference between the perception of what wildness is and what it means to be in relationship with wildness in everyday life. We talked about story and how whose stories get to be heard shapes who is allowed to exist in the world, who gets space to exist in the world. And we talked about biopower, which is a word that I'd never heard before and will be like deep diving into because it's fascinating. Um, and basically like how self-monitoring and taking on our own wellness as, as a project can really twist our relationship with our body. Uh, and how wellness is not a one-size-fits-all affair. I mean, there were so many potential wormholes to fall down. I could have spent like a whole hour talking about fledglings, if I'm honest, because they're in there too. But it is a beautiful conversation, and I'm sure you are going to enjoy hearing all of Theo's wise words. Um, Before we get into that... There are, of course, a few announcements that need to be said. First being that the doors for Summer of Rest are open. If you're not sure what Summer of Rest is, I feel like the name is relatively descriptive, does what it says on the tin. We're going to spend August resting. 
It's going to be four weeks of softness where you'll be able to find new ways to integrate more rest into your life. Throughout those four weeks, I'll guide you through how you can cultivate safety so that you can physically and sort of from a nervous system point of view, drop down out of activation and into rest. We'll talk about unlearning urgency and how we can kind of unravel that productivity culture that we are steeped in daily. We'll talk about opening to softness and the difficulties of receiving and how you can kind of maybe let a little bit more of that come in. And then we'll also get into how you can weave rest into the dailiness of your life. So it's not just that you're spending this little pocket of time resting and then you go back into pushing. It's designed to be a bit of a change of gear generally. It's going to be a slow, playful, pleasurable way to spend August. And I would love to have you with me. Practicality-wise, what it actually will look like is that we'll all be in a, a signal group. So it's kind of like a private messaging app, similar to WhatsApp, where we'll create a space for support and discussion and accountability and collaboration. Every week, you'll get a little mini podcast voice note from me talking about that week's theme. And then you'll have a practice that you can use to really help address that theme directly, kind of like triage, like sort of immediate action. And then also an exploration of a sort of longer form to help you sustainably weave that theme, that exploration into your life. So this is for exhausted business babes and burnt out feminists with intimidating to-do lists and parents who are spinning a thousand plates, especially over the summer. And I mean, it's for the straight up pleasure seekers who just want a slow, delicious summer this year. It's essentially like a digital version of running away to a cabin in the woods. So if you would like to join me, the details of how you can book are down in the show notes. Um, and you can hit me up with any questions as well. Just drop me an email. So I think that's the loan announcement for today's episode. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Let's get into it. Hi, Theo. Thanks for joining me. It's um, no it's a real pleasure to have you here. I thought that we might thought we might start really big um, <laughs> because, because that's just kind of my way. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll start sort of like small, big. So like a lot of your a lot of your work, and I mean like even even your name is. Um, very centered around wildness and like you know the the love and the beauty of wildness and wild things and wild people in this kind of like untamedness um and i wondered just sort of like where are you personally connecting to wildness at the moment you know we're we're speaking on a historically hot day um it is insane yeah. <laughs> literally insane amounts of heat um although we're we're a little bit lucky we're just outside of the red zone I'm here in Wiltshire, so we're not we're not as bad as say my friend Harriet at Nourishes, who's like an hour that way. Um, I think it's a, and friends in London, bless them. I'm yeah, that says me. I'm just so, like, <laughs> but yeah, but we're still doing the whole like not leaving the house. You know, trying to keep as cool as possible. Um, it's interesting because I think that uh, when we talk about or when we think about wildness, I think often we think about nature, and I think the two are different things for me. 
Um, and also, you know, like if, if we were to talk about nature, then I would have endless kind of issues with how we define that and how we tend to separate things, separate the world into that which is kind of civilized and that which is kind of natural and therefore, you know, one is better than the other and so on. So these kind of false dichotomies often kind of set up these uh, kind of purity kind of discourses where we need to be careful of, of one being inherently good and inherently bad. Um, so I guess wildness for me is more about, I mean, you use that word untamed and untamedness and what that means um, and the ways in which we kind of resist being domesticated in a various way. I love that, yes. <laughs> um, and I think there are limits to that as well. I mean, you know, I've been in, I've been in some very chaotic spaces with some very kind of chaotic out there people and it's not always felt safe, but it's kind of allowing ourselves allowing ourselves to kind of at least trouble the idea of what it means to be good and what it means to be kind of sensible and what it means to be a grown-up and all those kinds of things I think mm. is useful and interesting. So where I find my connection to the world is one thing, but where I find my wildness is actually probably in, you know, stupid things like playing Animal Crossing or, you know, <laughs> whatever else it might be, just generally lying down and not moving for half an hour in the middle of the day. And like a lot of people who kind of preach that kind of thing, I, I actually, I find it hard to live it. That's the problem. That's, that's the real, that's the real you know, truth of it, is that the reason why I talk about it a lot is because I find it difficult to allow myself that space. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is something that I, I feel like I say all the time and I like, I, you know, talk to friends who are also like coaches and teachers and it's just like, oh yeah, we, we teach what we deeply yeah. need. Like, I'm like really I teach rest. <laughs> I teach rest because I am terrible at resting. Like, yeah. 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 And I think being more open with our students, the people who follow us is about that is really important. It's like, look, I am really crap at this. Yeah. I, I used to say, uh, just in kind of general yoga classes, I used to say with students, like I have all the tips for balancing poses because I am terrible at balancing like trust me you want me as the teacher for balancing because I am rubbish at it don't <laughs> give me some lovely kind of 26 year old kind of you know guy with nothing but upper body strength who can you know do a handstand effortlessly I don't want to learn from that guy because he doesn't know how he doesn't know how to do it if you're bad at it yeah, yeah he doesn't know how to who, fail at it yeah he doesn't exactly right so so yeah over and over and over again yeah basically. And yeah. I think that's part of that kind of sense of wildness, right? Of like, you know, to, mm. to step outside of the the cultural story mm. of like, oh, you are good at a thing. And so that's why you do the thing. Yes. Um, and you are like, perfect at the thing. Yes, yeah. of course, because yeah. perfection is possible. <laughs> and, and all over the place. Yeah. 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 Totally. yeah, yeah it's, um, it's wonderful. So, I, I mean... I have a lot of questions about like animal crossing and wildness, but I'm like, maybe that's like beyond podcast conversation. <laughs> um, and then like in terms of like the natural world and yes, obviously they are, they are separate, they are interlinked, but they mm. are, nothing is separate. They are interlinked, mm -hmm. but different. How is like your relationship with the natural world kind of like playing in with that relationship to wildness? Well, I mean, I've always had, I mean, I've had some good teachers over, over the years who um, really encouraged me to realize a few things about the, the natural world. One is that it is never separate. It's right here and it's right now. Um, and therefore, um, like I had one teacher who was like, yeah, anyone can find the connection to nature kind of, you know, on the side of a mountain somewhere, but can you find it, you know, on a dual carriageway? Mm. <laughs> if you can't, like, that, like that's, that's the advanced level. Like, can yeah. you find it? right where you are and 
um, that kind of urban connection to 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 connect to the, that kind of natural world is really important. Um, and I and I also think that again, there's the kind of the reality of things is not the same as our imagined idea of things. Mm. I'm, I mean, we have relatively comfortable little house here, but I have a lot of friends who live interestingly on narrowboats and um, I'm checking in with people today. Everything okay <laughs> in your aluminium tube. I don't know, it's not aluminium, but steel, but you know what I mean? Like steel yeah, tube. Big warm right? tube, yeah. Big warm tube. And and I, and I know from having spent time with those people from other things that I've done and other things I've been around, like the reality is not uh, glamorous. It's not kind of, you know, kind of skipping through fields of bluebells. It's mud and it's um, excess heat and it's everything biting you at night. And, you know, like the the, the natural world isn't, is, is, ever present but it's also ne not necessarily benign like mm. we have to kind of find our place within it um and it's allowed to annoy us and it's <laughs> allowed to get in the way and it's and it will kill you like in many many different ways <laughs> all the time right yes, yes. so so the question is i think there's something remarkable about find our ability to find the beauty in that and that that's important i mean when you think for example about the beauty of birdsong when 90% of birdsong is basically either I want to have sex with that thing or get off my land. Basically, that's all they're doing. <laughs> that's all they're yeah. doing. Is... Yeah, they're not just like, this is a nice choir for us to like <laughs> exercise our little vocal cords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah they're doing the thing. So, you know, uh, nature has its everything and everything in the world has its own, has its own kind of little life to lead and its own little independence and, and, and its own thing, its own kind of life. Um, and, and it's not there to serve us. And I think sometimes the way we think about nature is as something that kind of, you know, is inherently healing and serving and of use to us as human beings, mm. rather than this is an inescapable reality. We are part of the world. Um, and it is our feelings of disconnection are not actually reflective of an actual disconnection. We are always connected to nature. It's a dysfunctional relationship. And therefore, it's a dysfunctional relationship rather than a connection we're trying to make, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think when we realize that, it becomes, becomes, you know, a more more useful place to be and a more useful role for humans to play in the world rather than expecting everything to just kind of, like, I don't know, it's that kind of sleeping beauty. Who is it? Which is the Disney princess that's followed by animals all the time? Snow White. It gives me Snow, Snow White. White. Yeah. Yeah. Very Snow White by birds in the morning <laughs> kind of image. Yeah, that's not what it's like. Like, birds have their own shit to do. They've got things. You know, and I always get that when people are like, you know, I saw a hawk this morning. What does that mean? It means there's a hawk. Like, yeah. <laughs> the hawk was looking for something to eat. Like, it's just flying it's around. Its yeah, it's doing its thing. And we can find beauty in that. And we can find kind of truth and reality in that but that doesn't mean to say that it, it you know it's there to serve a purpose for us necessarily yeah yeah and it's sort of it's the it's like a sort of shift in hierarchy and like you know there's a yes. very yeah very so. victorian yeah. well probably pre-victorian very colonial idea of like yeah. man on top of everything <laughs> white yeah, man yes. on top of everything yes. and, and that we are here to kind of govern and uh and, and yes i mean that's the thing is it's dominion isn't it some of these in the kind of evangelical sense sense of dominion which is god gave us the earth and mm. it's our job to look after it yeah. no it's not our job we're just <laughs> we're just was it apes with anxiety that's all we are amazing <laughs> <laughs> I heard that one. I like that one. <laughs> I'm tucking that away from my personal lexicon. Like, yep, cool. That one's in there now. 
Um, I like that. <laughs> yeah, and so that, that shift of hierarchy from mm. like, okay, well, I am here, and it, you know, it it all weaves within like. Mm. Uh, dominant culture and also like capitalist culture of like consumptive like this is here for me to take this is here for me to you know, to, to take meaning to take you know to take physically to take whatever it is um and shifting into like oh I am in relationship with everything yes. around me yes and I think that that shift is where the magic actually begins um we many 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 years ago we moved out of the city um and through a series of of, of, of uh, for a series of different reasons and things that happened um I found myself going within a few months from kind of living um, in East London with a flatmate people around the whole time and so on and so forth to living on this in this kind of uh this house on a dairy farm in Oxfordshire and I didn't have a car and I was like literally two miles from a sensible road never mind a shop hmm. um uh, and and my husband was going out to work a lot and and I suddenly was like quote unquote alone for the first time in years it was like oh my god I'm here day in day out and we um I smoked at the time this is very much a long time ago um and I remember that every um also we'd had like we'd had a cat and the cat had died just after we mm. moved it was it was a whole thing <laughs> thing so I was literally alone in this house um and uh we didn't want to smoke in the house um but lots of reasons so every morning uh, once you've gone to work I would sit on the back step and smoke the first kind of cigarette a day um, and it never happened again in the five years we lived there. But that first spring, probably because the house had been empty for a while, um, there were both wrens and wagtails. Um, both had a clutch that fledged that spring, oh, um, literally like outside my back door. Like yeah. one was in the old kind of outhouse, one was in the shed. And, stuff. Um, and I, it wasn't something I was looking for. And it wasn't something that I kind of, you know, in any way, something that was kind of gifted in that sense I was just sat there watching and watching these birds fly in and out um and then one day kind of the wrens started to emerge and there was like three days of watching these wrens come out and it's terrifying because you're like oh my god and there's like neighborhood cats and stuff and you're thinking oh they're gonna make it and then um, uh, so the wrens were fledged first and then the wagtails a week or so later and the wagtails are even more terrifying because they their flight swoops <laughs> they dip Right. <laughs> yeah, like, like what? So the wagtail comes out of this, comes out of its nest, and literally will skim the floor. I mean, this baby wagtail will be like, what are you going? You'll be like, oh. and all of a sudden, and it was just at the last minute, it would get high enough to get into the hedge, and you'd be like, oh, thank goodness for that. Um, yeah, and it was the most amazing two weeks, and I, I never felt alone there again because, mm, yeah. you know, it was there. I mean, how could you be? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, I'm just surrounded by life. Okay. Yeah yeah getting on with its own thing and doing its own thing and, and and yeah living its life it wasn't asking for anything from me and you know I'm sure it probably didn't care that I was watching but I cared I cared that they that they all made it that was yeah important. yeah 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 it's funny I had a very similar uh well not very similar I wasn't on a cow farm mm. in in Oxfordshire but um in the middle of lockdown um I used mm. to live on Bethnal Green Road like busy main road in East London you know, mm -hmm. but in lockdown, it was quiet. Yeah. And I sat in my basement bedroom in like a bay window, which allowed me to kind of look up at the plane trees that were lining the street. Mm -hmm. And it must have been winter because all of them were bare and I could see the, the crows nesting mm -hmm. in one of the trees. 
And, you know, so watching them build the nest, watching them build the nest. And then as spring came in, like seeing the same thing, like the fledglings mm. starting mm. to like drop onto Bethnal Green Road and just be like, Whoa, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. the fact that you don't have to be out in the middle of the country to have this no. daily relationship with the world around you, this moment by moment yeah. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Is- yeah. You do have to have time. I think that's the thing you need is to have time. And not everyone Attention. has time. And yeah, 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 yeah. And that's not always available, mm-hmm. um, you know. It, but it, it is definitely one of the um, one of the easiest kind of remedies for kind of whatever ails you in terms of your mental health, I think, if you can. Um, and if it's available to you to spend time with all sorts of tiny things. Yeah. Um, and again, most of my teachers have encouraged me to stay with what's, stay with what's tiny and stay with what's real. So not necessarily kind of communing with mountains and river valleys, but with like, you know, buttercups and baby wagtails and so on. Because it's everywhere, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like commune with the arrow in the park. You'll be able to see them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I popped around to see one of my boaty friends the other week and they were were standing on the towpath, very excited with a magnifying glass, looking at insect eggs on the side of a blade of grass. (laughs) thinking you're lovely but you're also bonkers I mean, like, people coming past the sofa they're gonna have they're gonna have opinions <laughs> I, I feel like I'm like maybe one or two years from that and so I'm here for it yeah yeah completely <laughs> amazing oh dear um and like I mean to kind of take that expansive like we are connected to the worldness mm. and mm. bring it into a bit more of like a conversation about your work, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, your work feels so expansive in that similar way. Like, you know, that there is all of this space that you make for everyone to show up exactly as they are. And yeah. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as someone who's been taught by you, I can say that that's how it felt to me. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that, I think that we, one of the things we do in a lot of, but not just yoga, but in a lot of similar practices is sometimes we confuse the kind of content for the process. And the content is just is, is just whatever comes to hand. The process is what's important. So it's not important whether you do a tree pose or a triangle pose or a particular pranayama and so on. Like those things are interesting in terms of what they're teaching you and, and, and what, what they're bringing you. And therefore, I actually, as a bit of a heretic, would say that yoga is no different from anything else. You can, you can learn, you know, in that fundamental tantric sense you can learn from the world mm-hmm. in whatever form it presents to you so um that's about an attitude and it's about a process but i i think that what we also need to do is apply the same principles to teaching mm-hmm. that it's about the relationships that we form with the students in class and their relationships with themselves and with each other and that's what we're making space for um and that's the point that's going to be far more rewarding and far more interesting than everyone standing on one leg at the same time now, what it might look like in practice is everyone's standing on one leg at one time, but that's not like that's not the point. It's a bit like when people say, "Oh yeah, we I don't like when no non yoga people say they know what yoga is and they mm. say oh, it's standing on one leg." And you're like, "No, no, no, that's not what <laughs> yeah, it is. No, no, that's the outside." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think the pedagogy is the same. The pedagogy should be the same. The pedagogy is what kind of a relationship is this person having with everybody, uh, and what's working for them and what isn't, and uh, what are we learning together about the nature of human existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore the kind of fundamental diversity of human beings becomes fascinating and becomes important and becomes the point <laughs> rather than standing on one leg. Yeah, um, rather than something to kind of like, you know, adjust around. 
yeah, 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 yeah. It was like consent. Consent is not the preliminary to the practice of teaching. Consent is the foundation of teaching. It has to be because it's not about, oh, it's okay if I, you know, touch your arm or whatever. It's about what does it mean for you to give consent for another human being to adjust your body? What does that mean about your conception of what you're doing, about their conception of what you're doing, about your relationship to some kind of platonic ideal of what a shape should look like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like these are, these are big questions and um, we, like, we don't need to get on to the kind of supposedly more advanced and interesting stuff because actually that stuff, if you stay in that, is really exciting. And we kind of know that because we know that a lot of people, when they start yoga, like there's a, there's that, I think many of us go through that honeymoon period where you're like doing all the crazy poses and all the crazy pranayamas and all the like, you know, they're trying to do an hour of meditation and all that kind of stuff because you're like, I want to explore this experience, right? And it's not, it's not about ego necessarily in the sense of I want to be able to do this cool thing. It's like there are all these wild things we can do in yoga and how, you know, how do I experience them? And then I think there's a point at which you kind of come back around to actually that's all well and good, but it's kind of tiring <laughs> and it's kind of exhausting <laughs> and I can't kind of eat for three hours before, or, you know what I mean? Like all of that kind of stuff. I'm in reality. It's like, okay, but what can I get from Tadasana? What can I get from Shavasana? What can I get from yeah, the simple? Here for me? Yeah, yeah. 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 And can you learn to do more with less? In mm. that sense? Yeah. Like stripping back, like, you know, yeah. I mean, my, yeah. yeah. My yeah. personal practice looks so quiet and small these days, and <laughs> right. it's, yeah, but it's yeah. like it's so mm. intimate, so much more yeah. intimate than when I was doing, yeah. you know, big, big, dumb stuff. Not dumb, but yeah. just big stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The big fun. It is big and fun. And it, it is fun. fun. Yeah. I love it. You know, I mean, you know, I've done, I mean, I, I've on a number of occasions I've done, I've very nearly achieved scorpion pose, <laughs> like not quite to the back of the head. I've done, you know, full, um, um a pigeon pose for example you know because I'm a backbender but like now I'm like I am 49 years old leave me alone (laughs) (laughs) I've got other things to do not even I have done that I have done that now (laughs) and I could do these other things instead Mm -hmm. so yeah I think that that that's what allows for that space but it it's a way of working and it's approach of working I think that inherently can be difficult for beginners to appreciate because I think a lot of people need the big sensations and they need the big certainties of mm. this is going to cure my lower back or it's going to do this or it's going to do that because otherwise why am I turning practice every week um so I mean I remember being in a workshop with John Sturk once he's you know an amazing teacher and there were only like 20 of us in the room or something and we'd spend half an hour lying on our backs imagining what it was like to develop lungs so yeah <laughs> half an hour going how do lungs work imagine you're amphibious and you've literally just kind of washed up on the beach out of the water what would lungs feel like we're just lying there doing this kind of movement with our arms going <sighs> for half an hour and he was so deadpan in the middle of it he just stopped and went can't teach this people just want to do triangle pose because the whole room kind of dissolved into giggles because he's <laughs> right people just want to do triangle pose yeah and it, like you know there's there's that beautiful sort of uh, not beautiful but like uh that c- cultural love of certainty like i know what i'm yeah, going yeah. to do here like yes. to wade yes. into cool so we're going to show up and we're not <laughs> we're quite <laughs> sure what's gonna unfold yeah 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 um yeah that yeah. it, you know from a from like a sort of even just thinking of it as like a marketing standpoint it's pretty hard sell just like oh, come no, it's on, a really we don't know what's sell. gonna happen yeah. but it's yeah, gonna be it's interesting really yeah. yeah yeah oh yeah 
And yet, what's interesting to me is that um, the more I understand about bodies and the way bodies work, and particularly, like I'm not a, a kind of scientific kind of anatomy specialist, but I have good friends who are, and increasingly what they say is this kind of somatic approach is that is, is actually the way forward. It's the only way, it's the only way to figure this out. Yeah. Because if you're looking for universal solutions or universal prescriptions, what you get down to is like move, <laughs> move, wiggle, make sure you move regularly, move yeah. with diversity. Remember to don't breathe. Remember <laughs> to breathe. Don't overdo it. That's it. Like, yeah. You're fine. And we have to be careful because, you know, when we're talking about that kind of surveillance state kind of capitalism. Part of that is expressed through an increasing um, state intervention into, you know, what Foucault called biopower, which is this idea that, um, you know, in, in more obviously oppressive times, kind of state institutions uh, do kind of the oppressing of human populations, like you can't do this, you can't do that, um, so on and so forth. But the idea of biopower is the where each citizen essentially self-surveils and self-controls um, mm. and self-monitors so you know what does it mean to be a kind of a good citizen and we like to think that we don't do that kind of thing and yet you know um do shoulds. we look down on people yeah all of the shoulds how many like exactly how many portions of fruit and veg are you having what size are they are you getting enough magnesium are you doing this are you doing that so everything increasingly everything about our movement our breath our rest our food and so on and so forth is becoming kind of embroiled in this process of self-surveillance and kind of technology just goes along with it like I have a horror of things like Fitbits and stuff like <laughs> and so much of it's really arbitrary like that's that's what people don't realize is the science just isn't there for any of it like it's just there's no re there's no reason to do 10,000 steps rather than 9,000 steps or 11,000 steps and how is that the thing that works uh, that's given to people no matter what their age is no matter what their disabilities are and so on um it is that makes no sense so we have you're aware i have a greyhound um and we have a tracker for for the greyhound just in case bless him if he ever got spooked and he was and he was off lead um he would yeah he'd be half a mile away for you yeah. yeah he'd be gone um so although in theory he has good recall it's in case there's a problem basically um but the sensible tracker that we could get actually is called a forfeit it tracks how much activity he's doing and it's just the most ridiculous thing ever <laughs> i do not need to know like how far this greyhound is <laughs> you don't know. he's fine <laughs> absolutely fine also he's a retired athlete if he wants to get a little bit round and lie on the sofa he's allowed I mean, yeah and, and the same goes for all of us right like yeah you, you absolutely don't, you don't have you don't, to earn your no. right to lie on the sofa and get a bit absolutely round. you are you yeah you own nobody you're kind of help um but also it's but even in the technology like what i realized through doing it with him is how arbitrary these things are like it's never asked me what breed of dog he is it's never asked me his stride length and yet it tells me how many sets he does we, yeah, so a chihuahua is like, cool, walked like around the house a couple of times, 10,000 steps, steps, done. Yeah. yeah, It's nonsense. There's no way it knows how many steps he's done. <laughs> just isn't. It's complete nonsense. So most of the, even when we use this kind of tracking technology, most of it is just nonsense. We know this with food, like 90% of food studies are self-reported, which means they say to people like, how much aubergine did you eat last month? And you go, I don't know, about four, maybe. <laughs> And on the basis of that, they say, oh, yes, people who eat more than 87 grams of aubergine a week have less breast cancer. <laughs> it's like, 
nonsense so much yes. of it. Uh, we just don't have the kind of the right data to to make these things work. But it's really fascinating how um, I think it's because it's cheap, right? The state response to anything is always like increasingly is well, we'll just tell people to do more of X. Mm. Right? And if you actually followed all of the guidelines, you would be it would be essentially like you know kind of prison regime you'd be like hang on a minute did I get my recommended daily dose of this yeah like monitoring your sleep and yeah 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 yeah. because that helps right monitoring your sleep is a really good way of getting rest so it's not it's not insomnia (laughs) inducing to get really stressed about your sleep at all yeah not at all yeah (laughs) lying there thinking oh god oh god i need to get to sleep i need eight hours yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. i mean if you know when date like data is only useful if you can meaningfully act upon it i mean that's true of any research um so like you know that that's why so if it's giving you information like if it's monitoring your blood sugar and your diabetic then brilliant you know that's giving you information that you can act upon Mm. um but most of the time we're given you know, we're given information all the time about health and well-being that we can't actually act upon. Like people should have this, people should have that. And you go, great, but there aren't any, there isn't any quinoa in Sainsbury's this week. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah. Like, and the prices have gone up and actually all I can afford is tin potatoes. Like, you know, like all we're doing is making people, making people who are already disadvantaged feel like it's their fault that they can't mm. live healthily. Yeah, um, and the, that's, there's an element of, um, you know, and uh, I could get real conspiracy theories, theorist on this, but like, you know, there's the yeah. element of like, if you are constantly thinking that it's your fault that you're not well, mm-hmm. then you're not mm-hmm. examining the broader mm-hmm. picture that is making you unwell. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, what we do is we make the middle classes in particular just generally very worried about health worries that they don't need to have. <laughs> you just don't need to be worrying about it. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, I've had students in their seventies worried that they're putting on weight. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, no one needs to worry, but also you're fine. Yeah, you're doing all <laughs> right, please. At this point, <laughs> just let go. Just just sit on the couch for a bit. It's going to be great. Eat chips, it'll be fine. Eat chips, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yoga teacher, important, yeah. important information. Yeah, it is. It'll be like, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think, I think on the other hand, like just listening to your body isn't enough. Like we do need... You know, at the end of the day, basically nothing you do is going to stop you getting sick, old, and dying. Mm. That is the long and the short of it. It is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so I have, um, I don't know if you know, I have it. I have a new diagnosis. So I have an autoimmune condition. Oh. I do. Yeah. So it's it's relatively mild, and I'm fine. Um, but I got the diagnosis for it earlier this year, and there were a couple of yoga teacher friends who were like, um, "Okay, so what are you going to manage it?" And I said been slightly winding them up this is the truth and I said you know what's made no difference at all and they said what I said changing diet and exercise and they went but 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 but, but. there's like I told my consultant and she was like you're fine like I literally like my diet and my level of exercise is absolutely fine mm. so therefore any tiny tweaks that I could make at this point are not going to make the difference what makes the difference is rest stress and medication mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm doing all the good things already so I think, you know, we forget that you can do all the good things and you can still, you know, you can still get a disease. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. There's no cheating it. There's no sort of like no. skipping no, no, past no. that part. And no. yeah, the, the, um, it's much easier to sell something that you can do than 
that's something yep. that you have to not do. Like yes. <laughs> to prescribe rest is a lot more challenging than like, yeah, cool, yeah. like, you know, do more stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I also think as well, rest, if we're not careful, rest becomes something else to do. Like if you're there, quite a high achiever anyway, then rest becomes, like, as you know, I love, I love a good yoga nidra. Yoga nidras are amazing. Um, but what, when I say I rest, like I actually nap, like I nap, as in I say a time, I, I lie down and I don't get up until the time has gone off. Because a yoga nidra practice is still something that I'm doing. Yeah. Whereas a nap just allows my body to just, just rest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now the years of nidra practice has probably kind of trained my body and brain to the point where I can do that. I can do 20 minutes, 30 minutes, boom, and I can come come back and it's fine. But nonetheless, like it doesn't need to be something that I'm actively doing. <laughs> yeah. Do less of it. Yeah, it's um, it's not yeah. easy. It's not an easy thing to learn, I think, mm. to 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 do less. Uh, it's certainly something that as as we were just discussing, like not super comfortable and easy for me or a lot of people yes yeah I'm I'm learning I one of the things I've been learning for the last couple of years really hard trying really hard to learn is the art of slacking off mm, like the joy of laziness receiving it yeah yeah because I actually need to be lazier like because that's what my you know my autoimmune condition and other things going on in my life strongly suggesting that the thing that I have failed to learn is how to be just just lazy enough that I don't burn out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. fine line to walk. Is well, it's not. It can be a really big, wide path to walk. Mm -hmm. But like, to to kind of, for, I suppose for a little context for you, I think people who listen to the podcast probably know this. But like, I basically took six months off at the beginning of the year. Like, I, mm. I did like the bare minimum in my business. Mm. I mm. I moved house, and that was about it. Like, I I just mm. really like dialed way back. Um, mm. and it, it's so confronting <laughs> it's yeah. so, and, but like, yeah. yeah, so confronting to just be like, cool, I guess I'm just going to do nothing. <laughs> uh, maybe, like maybe go for a walk around the park and like read a book yeah. and then like have a nap. <laughs> um, maybe I'll do yeah. like a little bit. I've got a client call for like an hour, but like, mm -hmm. yeah. And then to kind of be at this point now where I'm moving back into like, you know, having had all of that space to like breathe and reconnect with create like creative energy, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. sort of like restore myself from being completely burnt out, like to then find the line between like, okay, well, how do I not just like skew straight back into like massive production? That is the point yeah, of my yeah, life yeah, is yeah. to produce yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, keep, keep that yeah. spaciousness. I think for me, one of the big things has been, I mean, actually, interestingly, the, the diagnosis process has been really important, interestingly, mm. because it's not, it's <laughs> having gone most of my life with no diagnosis at all, there I am within two years, now I have three. So, uh, you know, between the autism, I started with an autism, autism diagnosis after burnout, and then my assessor went, Green, I'd like to, teach you, to test you for ADHD, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Okay, so we did that, and that was that, and now the autoimmune thing. And one of the things has been having some kind of even scientific rationale for why I need the things that I need sometimes helps. Yeah. So when I learned, for example, about delayed sleep phase and ADHD, I, I don't function well in the mornings. Like I can get up, I can be a grown up, I can be a human being, but I no longer. I do my absolute best not to schedule um, any kinds of serious meetings or anything like before 10 in the morning. Mm -hmm. 
because I need that time. It's working time, but it's time to kind of potter about what the dog think about my day, get my head straight. Because the reality is I will then achieve more in like two hours <laughs> than most people will achieve in like four, but I need to have that space beforehand. So if someone says, but could, could you make it half nine? But I still had this thing in my head of like, oh, I, sh I, I should be good because normal people, like normal people get the office at a sensible time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so that kind of thing. Whereas it's like working with the, the kind of productivity and levels of productivity that you have, I think are very important. I know when I'm writing, um, sometimes, sometimes it comes all at once and I'm like, it's like eight hours, boom, and it's there. But quite often, particularly if I'm kind of tinkering away at things, um, if it's editing and stuff like that, actually the most efficient way for me to work is to spend half an hour, an hour doing something completely nonsense, like playing video games mm. or, you know, messing about or scrolling, you know, that, the evil of scrolling social media, God forbid, you know, I'll do that for half an hour. Then I will get like a good hour, two hours of solid working. Mm. Now, what's interesting is that when they've done actual studies rather than self-reported studies on neurotypical people, they notice that neurotypical people work exactly the same way. It's just neurotypical people lie to themselves. <laughs> so the difference between neurotypical and neurodivergent people is, A, we're a bit more chaotic in, in when we work and how we work, but also, weirdly, we're more aware of it. So yeah. we'll say, oh, no, I only worked four hours today. Whereas neurotypical people will generally say, oh, no, I definitely did eight hours. And they're like, yeah, but you spent a half an hour at the water cooler. Yeah, and you said to Tracy in marketing. And it's like, actually, no, you don't. So where a lot of, I think, a lot of neurodivergent burnout comes from is from trying to work literally <laughs> 39 hours a week. Yeah. Like, no, it's not good it's for not, our brain. It's not a we thing. Overheat and we yeah, need to yeah. lie down. Yeah, and particularly because we work when we do it, we tend to work more intensively. So we tend to be more like, yeah, hyper focus. Yeah, yeah, massive yeah, hyper focus. Yeah. Yeah. Massive hyper focus. <laughs> <laughs> so much hyper focus. Um, so yeah, like yeah. So it's important. Like the things. So the things that keep me working are actually things like remembering to eat, making sure I have a routine that makes sure I'm working as little as possible. Weirdly, is what allows me to be as productive as possible. <laughs> So making sure, like, you know, when we walk the dog and et cetera, et cetera, because that's the main reason that I don't sit and put to my desk until before 10 o'clock is because I'm, I'm out walking him. So, mm. so I can't, I can't get stuck into things until I've really got my brain ready for the day. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things I, that weaves quite nicely into one of the things that I had in my mind to talk to you about, which is the sort of idea of, of story, because you are such a, a storyteller and like, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves, tell ourselves culturally are the things that, that give us space to exist or not exist. And so I'm wondering, like, are there some, like, what stories do you wish were being told about, you know, about queerness or neurodivergence or, you know, autoimmune diseases or anything or mm. like, I think it's, I think first of all, story yeah, stories are vital. Um, in terms of whose stories gets get heard, not just whose stories get told, mm. um, and who gets listened to. And I think that if we start with disability in particular, and with with trauma, which is kind of there's an overlapping community for me between mm. trauma survivors and, and neurodivergence, and there's really interesting and quite horrifying research about the overlap between them that we mm. don't need to go into otherwise everyone will get very upset 
<laughs> because the link between those two things is huge. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that happens to both communities is the ways that our stories are told by other people to, to the ends of other people. Mm. And that's the thing that happens, I think, in, you know, in diversity activism, there's this phrase has been used for years, um, uh, nothing about us without us, right? Like the, you, you don't have true inclusion unless you have actual people's voices, not just their stories told by somebody else. Um, but within autism, more specifically, just because that's kind of, you know, where I understand it, yeah. there's an interesting kind of Schrodinger's autism thing that goes on, whereby those of us who are able to be articulate enough, articulate enough to tell our own stories are dismissed as not being autistic enough to speak for autistic people. Right. Um, and the only people, the only quote unquote true autistics are those whose stories get told by other people because they're non-speaking or because mm. you know they're institutionalized or so on. And yet the commonality of experience is, is, is real and is true. Um, it, it's absolutely 100% there. That I have far more in common uh, with your average kind of non-speaking autistic person than I do with your average neurotypical people. That's, that's just true having spent time with people like that Hmm. um my level of sensory impairment is not as high as theirs um i don't have an intellectual disability to go with it um and uh, you know i'm lucky in that because it's i know it is easier for me to navigate the world but even for me like there have been times in my life where i have lost the ability to speak there are times in my life where i've been unable to tell my own stories um I grew up with, no, I mean, I, I, I literally don't know the truth of my own story in that there are, there are things that have been told to me about my early life that are just contradictory to other things that have been told to me about my early life, right. which tells me that I, like, I literally don't, don't know. And that's a wild thing, yeah. not to really know your own story of early childhood in many ways. So stories in that sense, I think one of the things that we, we need to remember is how um, malleable they can be and should be, and that people should be allowed to tell their stories and retell their stories yeah. and retell them in different ways as they make sense to them. Because, you know, just in the last three years, I've gone from a story of my own life, which is I am a trauma survivor who has neurodivergent tendencies as a result, to literally reversing that that my assessor you know got through conversations we got to a point where I realized I am a trauma survivor because I'm neurodivergent because that and that is fundamental um to who I am um in in many ways so you know all of those stories are important I think one of the things I would love to hear I would love people to realize about disability in particular at the moment is the embodied and embedded wisdom within that experience of disability um, and I, that's not to say that, that, you know, disability is inherently noble or inherently brings wisdom. That's not what I'm saying. I have been fascinated with the autoimmune condition, uh, knowing what I know now about my condition just a few months in, of how much yoga teachers think they know about autoimmune conditions and how little they actually know. Right, yeah. Um, and it is wild. The majority of yoga teachers, for example, w- will immediately go to suggesting different ways for me to boost my immune system right which is hilarious if you google autoimmune conditions literally the first thing you will be told is my my immune system is not underactive it is overactive Mm. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. So, it doesn't it doesn't need help. It's doing all right. Need any help it's too at good. all. <laughs> it yeah. is do it is yeah, it is too sensitive, not sensitive enough, not not sensitive enough. Yeah. So and then you know, when I've had people say, Oh, well, it's all about the fatigue, therefore you just have to listen to your body. And I'm like, okay, I have spent 20 years or more with a practice that in theory should have taught me how to listen to my body. Mm. And I have an autoimmune condition. So therefore, what that tells me is, is those signals are not as innate as we think they are. And you know, my symptoms aren't as bad as some of my friends, but you know, I know numerous people who are like, if I listen to what my body tells me in the, in the moment, mm. then tomorrow I'm going to be in pain. Mm. Because the whole point is, if you've got, if you've got, particularly if you've got kind of hypermobility disorders and chronic pain disorders, um, uh, and, and things like that, and post-viral disorders as well, like your body will not necessarily tell you in the moment. Yeah. You can't rely on just listening to it. You have to rely on this kind of fine calibration over months and years as to what is and isn't possible for you. You have to find ways to be, to, to push the limits enough to be strong enough Mm-hmm. to have a greater window of tolerance. So the stronger mm-hmm. you are, the greater your window of tolerance for, uh, for, for any of these conditions, right? So if you can be fit and strong, yeah. then you're more able so to weather the ups and downs. Of expand the your capacity in the up, yeah, exactly. weather. But, yeah. but, but so how do, you, how do you find your way to getting fit and strong when your body doesn't tell you when you've done too much? Yeah, <laughs> like, so it's like to this... learn where the edge is <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. Yeah. and recalibrate it every day. Mm-hmm. And that is incredible. And the ability of people to do those kinds of things uh, and then to turn up at a yoga class and a yoga teacher say, oh, you just need to learn to lie down when you feel tired. It's like, honey. It's insulting. <laughs> yeah. That's actually insulting. And that just made me think, like, how often, um, how often have we given advice to people about their long-term conditions that is actually just, it's too, it's, it's mildly insulting the reality is far more complicated and they've just kind of gone, uh-huh, because they just don't have the energy. Like, I, I can't you. with this right now. I, I haven't got the spoons like, for this yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. And so, that kind of circ- yeah. it circles back to that, that idea of like bodily autonomy and consent yes. and like to actually, the importance of actually letting a human be a full rounded human yes. rather than yes. like a two-dimensional like okay though they have this and this and this yes. and therefore that means this yes yes and how are we learning how are we constructing a practice together so mm. how are we a guide to constructing practice together so if our student goes you know if, if our students are able and feel willing enough to say um actually I know you said this should help that but actually that you know this happens like I, I can't even remember what somebody was doing once but I remember I had a student once I was like, um, they said, oh, I've got pain in this part of my body in this particular stretch. And I was like, well, you could try doing it this, like if you pull in here, does that help? And I would always ask, right, does it help to do this mm. particular self-adjustment? Like if you pull back into this muscle, does it help? And they went, no, that makes it worse. And I was like, oh, mm. okay. Now there's two responses to that. You either kind of freak out and move on or you go, oh, now this is interesting. <laughs> okay, now how can we figure this out together? And I, I within this particular case, we had a conversation and she and we talked about it and we talked about I was like, when when else do you have similar kind of pain? And and we figured out between literally between us by talking it out that um uh, there's it's it, the pain was occurring when her pelvis was uh kind of uh, off kilter. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to say out of alignment because I'm not very really sure about like, what yeah, but that's in the like, direction hit, to the, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So anytime her pelvis was hitched, 
um, the muscles on one side of the spine or the other would, 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 that would trigger a response. Mm-hmm. So it's not a kind of immediate muscular response. It's kind of a trigger. The body just kind of went, I don't like it. I don't like it when we do that. And then, and then they don't like that. So it was like, okay, so if we do it this way, does that work? And it worked. Okay, mm-hmm. like, so, so it was, it's always an opportunity to learn more about bodies and about people if you can treat it as a process of dialogue. Yeah. Right? But that is hard if you're working in a gym somewhere and they're like, you've got 45 minutes and you've got 30 students and they yeah. all want to do vinyasa flow, yeah. pump the music up. Right? Like, just do a couple of jet rangas. Just carry on, guys. I'm going to have a chat with this person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's also, like, I also, I also think that um, I want to acknowledge how that there's an increasing weight put on to yoga mm. um, and that weight is increasingly falling on yoga teachers to kind of um, paper over the cracks in kind of failing health systems and yes. kind of capitalist yoga. surveillance yeah, things. Yoga is helpful yeah. for everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So people are just turning up basically broken in front of yoga teachers who are increasingly broken themselves. <laughs> like, oh shit! Oh god! <laughs> so I do want to say, like, you know, I think that um, yeah, it's 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 a hard job from that point of view. But yeah, I think those are the kind of stories I want to be listening to. I want to be listening to how, how does, particularly with long-term chronic conditions, disabilities, and so on, like how, what are the stories that, 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 that the body's telling us in different ways? And I think that more stories without neat outcomes as well. Mm. Like it's very hard. Anybody who's been through the process, any process of major diagnoses uh, as a yoga teacher knows it's very hard then to go into a yoga class and say, when people say, well, what's wrong? And you say, well, actually, I don't know. And I'm scared. Mm. Right? That is a hard conversation to have with your students when they rely on you to be the person who goes, I, you know, who, who says that there's a way through. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it is, can be really, really difficult to go through those. So how do we make space for stories that are more uncomfortable? that aren't don't have easy resolutions because you know the reality with you know with the autoimmune the difference between the autism and ADHD and the autoimmune is the autoimmune is is scary like that's life limiting yeah um there you know I will probably be fine but like (laughs) there are there's a possibility I might not be and you know the the way the world is, is is going I am lucky that at the moment the meds that I have do not compromise my immune system Mm. Um, I'm on hydroxychloroquine, which is amazing, wonderful stuff. But I'm on a very low dose of it now. It's, there's a limit to how much of that I can put into my body over time. Right. Sure. Um, it starts to build up and cause problems, particularly for the eyes. Mm. Um, so if my symptoms get worse, if I have to take more of it, then I have less amount of time on it. Now, right. after hydroxychloroquine, if they don't come up with something better in the meantime, that's when I start to need to go on to drugs which are immune suppressing. Right now, that is becoming a problem because we are literally have all decided practically globally that is absolutely okay for for immune compromised people to just die because that's what we're saying. Oh, just live inside forever. Just live inside forever. Don't go to a hospital. Don't go for doctors because they're not actually segregating Mm. um, COVID patients out of wards now. Mm. Like you, like you can't. It's not just live inside. You literally can't. Yeah. Right? you can't go to hospital can't go to doctors because they're not they're not screening uh anymore um you know delivery drivers like if you rely on deliveries delivery drivers aren't masking anymore and so on and so on and so forth now i'm not saying that i necessarily know the answer but i i like 
it's I do know this is eugenics it absolutely yeah. is eugenics if you start to say that the world carrying on as it is is more important than avoidable deaths like of any avoidable deaths even if you think oh it's all right because they're all over 70 or they're all this or they're all that yeah. the reality is immune compromised people look like me they look they yeah you know yeah they don't like I've, I've got a, a friend whose six-year-old daughter was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis I mean yeah. you know that that's who we're talking about we're not talking about people who were going to die next week anyway and even even then and even if we were even like, then yeah. that's not a decision that feels okay <laughs> that to make be, yeah Completely, completely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would love to say that's a really optimistic place to end this conversation. (laughs) Sorry, you talk about something else. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, oh god. Um, But it's a really, it's a really interesting place to like to kind of start Mm. to wrap Mm. up in terms of like, yeah, the stories that that we tell and you know the 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 cultural stories and understandings of like who gets to who gets to exist literally. (laughs) Yeah. So let me tell you, let me tell you one more, more, um, <laughs> more hopeful story or more uh, political story, which is I'm very fond of Halberstam's, I, um, I'm obsessed with Halberstam's ideas about queerness as the failure of indoctrination at the moment. So Ooh. this idea, I know, and disability is the failure, the failure of indoctrination as well. So the idea is that both like queerness in all its forms um so that includes for me include neuroqueer identities mm-hmm. but also i think um disability in various forms as well um partly what it's about is about not living up to the standards of of late stage capitalism um and not living up to particular kinds of kind of you know social indoctrination and there is a power in reclaiming that as a story there's a power in saying okay we are broken (laughs) and that is okay and that is our identity and we refuse not to be broken there's a book called where is it um authoring autism that i'm partway through it's kind of famous in the autistic community melanie Mm. yogo is authoring autism which is a brilliant book i'm working my way through and there's a point in it where (laughs) where where she says um, it is my intention that you reach the end of this book more impaired than you began it, which is just hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Like more broken, less able to function. Yeah, just like let, it, let go of the, the concept that that you have to be able to be something other than what you are. Yeah, and that maybe this world isn't one you want to fit in. <laughs> yes. Maybe our dysfunctional relationship should be with capitalism and not with, you know, um, wagtails and um, spiders and anything else. Yeah. In the world. yeah. Like that, that would be, would be a thing. We could yeah, do that. I'm, I'm totally here for a dysfunctional relationship <laughs> with capitalism. I'm on board, 100% yeah. on board with that. Um, oh, I like okay, that. Well, that was a beautifully Story. optimistic place to, to wrap this up. Thank you for turning it around. I would have happily, right. like, you know, left it where it was, just like, mic drop, I'm out. But, <laughs> no. but yeah, um, embrace our brokenness. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I love to. that. Oh, well, thank you, Theo. Um, thank yeah. you so much for, for having this conversation with me. It was an utter delight. Do you want to let people know if there's somewhere you want them to, like, find more of your work or, like, yeah, we'll see. This is again the brokenness. Um, I have a website. Um, it is. It has been in the process of being updated for at least three years. We are going to going to relaunch it at some point. So it's massively up to date. It's massively out of date, rather. Um, you can generally find me on Wild Yoga, um, which is my uh, my domain name. But like again, it comes with the caveat. It's massively out of date. 
whereas people just skip straight to the Nidras and the blog posts and start there. Um, I, um, as you know, I, I do uh, some work for the OU, but my most public kind of academic work is probably with SOAS, where I get to bring lots of cool yoga studies researchers um, to the general public. So we, we do kind of free open events. So that's the center of yoga studies at SOAS. You find me there. And training staff, I kind of, I'm always interested in dropping in to teach trainings and things. Um, and I do that a fair bit. And then kind of my, I have a number of kind of home, like home organizations of which I will forget a few, but mostly, you know, Nourish is usually where I am at some point in any given month, um, but also kind of Barefoot Body. And uh, there's a couple of others um, that I'm faculty on here and there, which is nice. So um, you can find me usually doing trainings for other people. And the reason for that is, is that means I get to drop into communities rather than, you know, in different places and yeah. establish communities, which makes more sense for me. Yeah. Yeah, and as someone who has who has been trained by you at Nourish, um, I can thoroughly recommend it. It was a delight. Yes. <laughs> We're doing more. Yes, <laughs> do it. Go learn how to do yoga nidras with Theo. It's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've got one. I've got a yoga nidra course coming. Okay, so the only one next year will actually be in person at Yoga Reading. Is wild. That's will be a new thing. And then the next Nourish one will be 2024. So yeah, you have to get me when when I'm around. Um, but we've got like we've got a thing we've got a thing we're doing for nourish on consent coming up in the autumn that's going to be really interesting and yeah various other interesting things i did an introduction to neurodiversity for a uh, weekend for uh, Bev, uh barefoot body which was brilliant so i hope you do that again cool yeah that worked really well so yeah there's things Same. always Amazing. more things always oh, things. What books? who is that i should say something about the book <laughs> say something about the book tell the me book. about the book <laughs> okay so, I, so when I when I when my book came out there were a lot of yoga teachers who were like this is great as a kind of academic book on uh, yoga teaching communities which is what it was intended to do uh can we have something that's a bit more about how actually how 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 to teach um and I felt it would be uh kind of arrogant for me to write that book myself but what I really wanted to do is model good practice by uh, gathering a community and uh, essentially a circle of trust, mm -hmm. kind of trusted experts that I really love. We are still working on it. Harriet and I are co-editing it, but oh, cool. I can, do you want sneaky, can I tell you some of the names? Who have we got? Because we've literally got Donna Fari, Karen Carlson, Juvena Heyman, Davy Jones, Harriet, Barbara Sojkova is doing history, Simone Pal, like the names, the names <laughs> like that we have. Casual name drop, like, yes, really like cool. yeah. well, Pete Blackaby, Beverly. We got, we got some. We got Laura Hancock. Laura Hancock from Union. Bless her, has taken time out of her ridiculously busy schedule to write us something on money. Amazing. It, it is, oh, we have the drafts. We just need to kind of get the kind of introductions and conclusions and things like that sorted. Um, so that's so, coming. It's coming. I can't tell you when, but it's coming. That's fine. And it's, it's coming. It's enough exciting. to know that. That's exciting. We need to find a title. We the one thing we don't have is a title. <laughs> naming things is hard. Like naming things is becoming the hardest. Hard. I feel like yeah, we could just call most things that, and that would be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's gonna be. I'm. We are truly, truly, really excited about it. I think amazing. It's be an amazing book. Oh, I can't um, wait to read it. Thank you again so much for joining me. No um, and yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Wayward Bodies. How awesome is Theo? All of the details of where you can find her and her work are down in the show notes. And yeah, if you are interested in learning from her, I can really recommend it. It's a delightful experience. 
yeah, that, that kind of brings us to the end of our podcast, unsurprisingly. Uh, I would love to hear if there's any thoughts or feelings you have about the topics we covered today. I know there was a lot in there. Um, then, yeah, drop me a note. Send me an email at waywardbodies at protonmail.com. And if you want to help get wayward bodies into more people's ears, which is a slightly weird sentence when I say it out loud, um, then... You know, you know what you need to do. Head to your favorite podcast provider and like and subscribe, rate, review, do all of the things or like go old school and like send an episode to a friend, share an episode on social media, whatever it is. It really helps more folks like you find the show and get the word out. If you'd like to know more about my work and how you can work with me, uh, obviously there is the summer of rest, which is coming in August and is going to be basically just like sitting around the campfire chatting with a bunch of awesome babes. I um, can't wait. Uh, I also have space for one-to-one work, um, either single sessions or a longer six-month deep dive together. You can find details about that one-to-one work on my website, which is anotherpractice.com. And that also has all of the different things that I'm doing and different ways that you can get in touch with me. And finally, it's also where you can go to sign up to In Practice, which is my fortnightly newsletter full of thoughts about embodiment and how we take these concepts and put them into practice in our lives. How do we actually do the things? Okay, that's everything for today's episode. Until next time, big love. Mm -hmm.